traveler, author, Guinness Book of World Record holder. What's going on, Gunner? Yeah, not too much, Mike. How are, how are things in New York? Rainy, windy, and cold. So it's uh, New York in, uh, in April. How are you? Where are you calling me from? Yeah, well, it sounds like Oslo. I'm in Norway right now, and it's yeah, it's windy and cold and miserable and all the rest of it. But uh, you know, complaining doesn't really work, does it, or help? So I'm trying not to. And <laughs> you're not allowed to complain because Norway is the fifth happiest country in the world. Are you disappointed about being surpassed by your neighborhood, uh, Finland, Denmark, and Iceland? Are you upset about being fifth on that list? <laughs> well, actually, we were number one only three years ago, so something must have happened, I'm afraid. <laughs> when did you but, guys uh, <laughs> get so – Gunnar, when did you guys get so unhappy then that you dropped down a list? <laughs> I have no idea. We probably took it for granted, you know, <laughs> that we were the happiest. And then, uh, you know, they, they beat us, uh, all, all the other Nordic countries. So, uh, no, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right. but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's surprising that the Finns can actually be happier than us because if you know the Finn <laughs> – you know, they don't say anything. They're totally quiet for most of the time and never smile. So, uh, but, you know, <laughs> whatever floats your boat, I've, I've no idea how they I came to that conclusion. But uh, <laughs> yeah. no, it's, 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 it's good. You know, you know we're, we're, we're relatively happy up here. We, um, you know, we, ha- we, uh, we have the nature, the scenery, and there's so much to see, so much to look at. We have free education, free healthcare, and stuff like that. So I think that, that certainly helps. Uh, all the Nordic countries, really. Oh, and they're go- You know what? Besides all the stuff you just said, the beauty when you go there, you uh, you taste and smell the fresh air, and it sounds silly, but when you go there, it's a different atmosphere there, isn't it? No, it certainly is, and, and yeah, right. You, you can you can pretty much taste the difference in in air. It's so much cleaner, especially if you go to the northern part or the west coast. You know, when you land or step out of your car or you arrive by boat and you just inhale a big breath, you can just wow. And uh, <laughs> you know, I've had people, foreigners, coming here, and and they they start feeling sick. They just saying, no, this is too fresh. I'm not used to this. It's, uh, uh, and usually takes them like a, a day or two to get used to it and, and then of course they never want to to go back to wherever they they came from because the the, the air the fresh air is, is truly amazing <laughs> i'm very fortunate to do this podcast and i get to interview different people forget about travelers but athletes and authors astronauts and anyone i find fascinating and i always love talking about the one th- i always like to start the podcast off gunner by not talking about the one thing you're known for you're gunner the travel guy I just did a quick search on you a second ago. Were you a professional soccer player, or did you play amateur soccer? Uh, well, semi-professional in, in the UK and um, an amateur in Norway. I played Division 2 and 3 in Norway, and I was playing, uh, well, non-league, but still semi-pro in England for a town for a, for a team called Falmouth Town. And in Norway, I, pl- I played for Ferda which is uh, a bit difficult to pronounce, I guess, for <laughs> for Americans. Are, are you are you a big football fan? Um, well, I I rather enjoy playing actually, but I do have a team. It's an English one. It's Tottenham Hotspur, which is in Premier League, which is my favorite team. And, and most other teams, I don't really care much about. I, I really prefer, um, as with anything else, I prefer doing instead of watching. I'm sorry you're a fan of them. I'm a, I'm a Bayern Munich fan, so they're not the they're not my favorite team. So it's all right. 
No, there you go. So there's a no, no competition there. No. Hey, um, before we talk about travel again, you have a real job, right? Because a lot of travelers I have on, and, and I'm very uh, envious of that. They don't have, um, I hate to say real jobs, but you have a real profession, correct? Yes, I am originally a journalist and I work for Norwegian Broadcasting Corporation, which is a little bit like the, the BBC in Britain. It's licensed funded. It's, it's a public service broadcaster with uh, loads of radio stations and television uh, stations and, and so on. So now I currently work. I don't do journal, journalism there right now. I'm currently a project manager for, uh, for various IT projects. I know. Also, you host the podcast, don't you? Oh yes, that's true. That's on my spare time, and that's also related to um, to traveling. It's it's a Norwegian though, and I do that with um, uh, fellow uh, travel journalist uh, Torkild uh, Gundersen, who's uh, also Norwegian. But yeah, it's great fun. We go to uh, we we visit um, all the countries in the world, uh, all 198 countries, and I think we've been to uh, around 30 so far, and we come up with a new episode in. Uh, every Wednesday. Of course, this is not going to be um, of uh, much use to, to your listeners, as most of them probably don't speak Norwegian. But, you know, it, it, it could be a good way to learn a new language. Eh? <laughs> Gunnar, I always followed and admire you uh, with your travels. And for those who don't know you, you're the first person to visit every country in the world twice. What an accomplishment. I'm glad you made it 198, not 193. It's semantics, but I'm very uh, – I've always envied NU, and I've always looked up to you and admired you. And recently, and shame on me, I just found out you had a book, and I just finished it, 198, How I Ran Out of Countries. When did you write this book? Because it was – it's a must-read if, if you're a traveler or even if you think about traveling. When did you write this book? Uh, I finished it in uh, 2014 when the Norwegian version came out and the English uh, version came out the, the one year later in 2015. I, I wrote this um, and the re I finished visiting all the countries, all 198, for the first time in uh, 2013 in May. And, you know, I just uh, I just realized I'd experienced so much and so many in incredible and amazing and, and crazy uh, and sad and funny and so on experiences that I, I just wanted to write about them. And then I decided I, you know, I wanted to write one chapter for every country in the world. Uh, although I didn't want to do it, uh, you know, chronologically, not alphabetically. I didn't want it to be some sort of an encyclopedia. So I decided to do it by themes. So one is like uh, drinking, one is um, island hopping, another one is travel with the police and so on. Um, and I ended up with one chapter for every country, you know, just because I I, I realized I, I, I needed to share all these insane experiences um, I counted around the world. But thanks a lot for reading it. Um, how many times did you fall asleep uh, throughout? <laughs> 198. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, no never, <laughs> never, never. Hey, did you enjoy the process of writing? I, I, I certainly did, yeah. You know, I, I really uh, love being creative or trying to be creative, or at least I'm hoping to be a semi-creative. Um, but I can't, do, I can't do drawing, I can't do painting, I can't do knitting. But when it comes to, to writing, I'm, you know, I'm very fond of that. And um, I actually wrote a lot of it on, on the road. And then I sat down back in Norway and in Namibia and Brazil and <laughs> Tokyo uh, in Japan to actually finish up the the, the book. So um, and I, I had a great time doing that. And um, and then of course when you get an editor, 
and you know all the input from the editor is sort of like you have to write the book rewrite the book write it all over again because mm-hmm. you get so much input that you have to take into account but um you know i, I like this so much so i came out with with the second book which came out last year and it's uh, still not out in english it's called elsewhere um and it's about the the least visited countries in the world, the 20 least visited. Um, so uh, hopefully that's going to come out in, in English in not too long uh, as well. I have an, a lit- literary agent working on that. Uh, so it's coming out in Hungarian, of all languages. Uh, <laughs> and so there's always something going on. You mentioned that you wrote the book in a, in a unique, way, uh, unique way and you did because I've never seen a book listed like each country like you'll read every book even if they're fun travel books and the travelers the author will write 25 of their best countries of their favorite stories did you keep a journal in your travels how do you remember most of these stories about the random day here or the story here how do you uh, keep track of all that no, I, I have a tremendous a tremendous amount of, of notebooks, uh, paper notebooks that I always carry around. And if I see something or when I see stuff, I, I take a note of it. You know, I write down uh, colors or smells and so on, like those little details that you never remember, uh, you know, weeks and months later. And I take a lot of photographs that help me um, also uh, remember what I've, I've done and who I've met and all the rest of it. And, and of course, with my notebook as well, I... I do um I do interviews and I, I write write down the answers and and, and so on. So that's really in, in, in invaluable to me to to have this little old fashioned paper mm-hmm. notebook in in my in my pocket and, and a couple of pens in, in case one of them stops working. <laughs> you know the lost art of writing is it's a beautiful thing. I'm telling you, everyone just types into their phone that lost art of writing, finding that old notebook with your little notes. Isn't it great? <laughs> but there's actually one other reason why I do that, because when you travel to, to all the countries in the world, and many of them um, are, let's say, much uh, less fortunate than the US and Norway and, and, and the countries in the Western world, um, if, you, if you write that down on your phone, which is, you know, it's $1,000 or $2,000 or whatever, it, like a modern smartphone costs, that's that might be two or three or four annual wages mm-hmm. to to, uh, to a normal person in many of these countries. So it's sort of like showing that off. It, it, it's more or less an invitation to, to being robbed. Um, and of course, it can also run out of battery and you know, don't have electricity in all these places. So, um, so, so actually having an old-fashioned notebook, is, um, it, it's, there's a security element with that as well. You mentioned the unique way you wrote the book, and I love the way you wrote it. Um, you told a personal story from partying to hooking up to spending night in jail in each country. Why did you go that route instead of like, hey, I was in New York and here's the Statue of Liberty. I was in Paris. Here's a great story about the Eiffel Tower. Um, something that was more relatable to regular people. Why did you do it in the way you did it? Well, I think most uh, travelers, or at least a lot of travelers, have been to uh, to Statue of Liberty and the Eiffel Tower and all the touristy sites. What I wanted to do, I wanted to uh, tell at least one story from each country and uh, trying to uh, focus on something a little bit different. I wanted to give the normal uh, but extraordinary, uh, very exciting people in, in all these countries to give them a voice. I mean, a lot of these countries, people have most people have never heard about. You know, you have Tuvalu, you have Nauru, you have Burundi. Uh, and and so on and so forth and and it's sort of like wow I didn't even know those countries existed so so I I, I wanted to do a little bit of a different take um, take on it and um, I wanted to stand out from uh, from from random Instagram accounts and and you know <laughs> blogs or whatever 
that that focus on on many of these you know tourist uh, sites. But it's quite it's quite funny. I I, I also have an Instagram account, and I, I noticed that you know in my mind I take a lot of um, different let's say photos of 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 um, extraordinary sceneries and you know hidden islands and and mountains that people don't know about and very uh, colorful people. But you know if I take a photo of the Eiffel Tower, you know with me in front of it, I get so many more likes than if I take of something much more exciting so i think you know people are <laughs> people are really they really want the bloody eiffel tower you know come on and it, it's sort of don't be a sheep come on try to see something different and you know i really would like to 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 hopefully influence people to do um to 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 um seek a little bit different experiences off the beaten track if you like and get out of your comfort zone that's the most important thing gunner you you travel, you come back home. You travel, you come back home. What's the one food you miss the most and crave? When you're away and you want to get back to Norway, what's the one food you're dying to have? <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, I could answer uh, head of sheep or sheep head, which is a delicacy here mm-hmm. uh, to some people. It, it looks really awful when you have the sheep in front of you with the, with the teeth and the eyes and all the rest of it. Uh, but it, it's really, it really tasty. Um, this is something we eat uh, sort of every January, February. Um, it's a seasonal food. And not all of the Norwegians eat this. It, it does look quite disgusting, to be fair, but it, it tastes very good. What, what I crave is uh, Norwegian white cheese and, and on bread um, and, um, and probably milk, just, you know, <laughs> normal skin milk. <laughs> In Norway, we, we, we eat a lot of cold meals. We don't cook too much. So for lunch, for breakfast, for uh, for an evening meal, we have bread with, um, with cheese or or meat or you know vegetables or whatever on it and then we drink milk so so that's the very typical norwegian sort of um, uh, meal i'd say so, so so that's and you can't really get that because you can get bread many places and milk and cheese but it, it really isn't isn't the same norwegians make amazing bread and, and in particular my mother her homemade <laughs> bread is, is truly incredible <laughs> You had me laughing, Gunnar. You said that uh, when you were younger, you took the train throughout Europe, and that increased your travel bug, which is obvious. Everyone's done it. But then you came to the States, and it really got your travel uh, bug rolling. But it wasn't New York, L.A., or Chicago. It was Lawrenceburg. No, no, Gunnar. It was Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Bro, I've never heard of that place. Do you want to know what I did when I heard that? I actually pulled up Google Maps, and I'm like, I've been to Indiana. Where is Lawrenceburg? How did that happen that – this dude from Norway who's traveling through Europe <laughs> hangs out in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. How did that happen? <laughs> you know, this was in 1992, and I've been asking myself the same question ever since. You know, how the hell did I end up in Lawrenceburg, Indiana? Now, I was an exchange student, and I went through this this organization that uh, you know organizes these. And you didn't really have much of a choice. You know, you just said you, you picked your country, and then this organization picked your your state or your your town or your village, and I ended up in, in Lawrenceburg, which is part of the greater Cincinnati area. So it's um, it's, it's a tri-state, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, and it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely place. I went to East Central High School in, um, in, in, a, in a tiny village called St. Leon, uh, just next to, to a highway. And uh, <laughs> so, so I really, you know, and you have the stereotype, of course, you probably hear this all the time being American, but you have the stereotype of the Midwest and it's sort of two guys 
uh, one in each of their own pickup truck. And in the back, they have a shotgun each, and at least one of them has a deer. And they put in, you know, they don't speak too much in, in the Midwest. And when they do, it's quite slow. So sort of, hello, what's going on? And, you know, they chew, they throw in some chew, chewing tobacco, and they sit there and, and non-speak for like half half an hour before they, you know, continue driving or whatever. It's it's uh, <laughs> So, so it's, it's a strange place to sort of be sent to. I mean, I'm, I'm from rural Norway myself. Um, so going from one rural part of the world to, to, to another, but I'm really happy. And I, you know, I still have a lot of friends um, from there and I keep in touch with, with, uh, several of, of them. And it really, let's say, defined me as a person, you know, I was 17 years old back then. And it made me realize that there is definitely something outside Europe. It's something outside, uh, uh, in Norway, and um, I got to experience a total, total different way of life. And believe it or not, but my accent was, you know, I really had this Indiana accent, which I, I can't... <laughs> after studying in, in England for three years after this, you know, I've totally lost my, my Indiana tone, as you will. <laughs> we, uh, we travelers, we, um, whenever you decide to travel to every country in the world, you, you might start it at country 10 or 50, or you might say you want to set a record and your parents are rich and they're going to say, go travel around the world. Yours started as a bet. Uh, that's true, right? That's when you decided to visit every country in the world? Yeah, well, I, I, I had decided, but I hadn't told anybody because it was such a crazy thing to do. And by then, I, I think I'd visited 80 or so countries. So I was lacking uh, almost 120. And I told one of my, my best friends, Ola, uh, you know, Ola, I'm going to go visit every country in the world. And he laughed. He laughed in my face, you know. And, I, and you know, so we ended up, oh, yeah, you want to bet? And he, he was on the bet. And I said, OK, well, I'm going to do it. And he said, well, we need to bet one beer per country, he said. So, you know, that was the bet. And back then, there were only 197 countries. This was before South Sudan um, split from the rest of Sudan, and which made it 198. But, you know, when I finished this in, in 2013, and I had one country to go, and that was Cape Verde of Africa, West Africa, an island nation there. And he sort of said, OK, I admit it, I've lost this bet and, <laughs> and we went live on radio one of the biggest radio stations in norway and he tricked me into uh, into the studio there i didn't know he was there so you know, i was i was being interviewed by by some famous host there and suddenly he comes in with a huge you know um, uh, trolley filled with 197 beers <laughs> and for the last country <laughs> you know and and the, and the program leader and and his, uh, his sidekick they were laughing so hard you know <laughs> they totally set me up but Ula, he was he was a game you know he was cool so he threw in a bottle of rum for the last country so 197 beers and a bottle of rum for south sudan <laughs> so that's that, that was good fun <laughs> and, and now so, so you know <laughs> gonna you mentioned you were around 80 when you decided to tell yourself you're gonna go uh finish this journey and that's where i am i'm around the 80 mark and i'm like yeah I i've been saying it for a while that i'm gonna go to every country like you i have a regular job so i'm just jet setting on weekends and some trips when you hit the 80 did you like okay i need to go to this country next how'd you pick your next country did you go oh there's a sale there there's a big uh sporting event there what made you pick your group of countries well, yeah, it was sort of, uh, it was, sometimes it was totally random. The first time I went to uh, to um, Kyrgyzstan, Central Asia altogether, I, uh, my brother Oystein and me, we he's a teacher, so he gets this awesome holiday that we have in, in Norway every year. There's one week off school. 
and um, we were we were planning to go somewhere, but we wanted to go somewhere a little bit different. You know, we didn't want to go to Spain or France or the UK or wherever. And then we were looking through the local newspaper, and there was this article about some uh, some hydropower engineers from Kyrgyzstan visiting our region because we have lots of hydropower plants. So they were doing research, and we said, "What Kyrgy? What Kyrgyzstan? Where the <laughs> hell is that?" And we started researching, and we we found an encyclopedia. This was before you know it was more or less before the internet almost you know <laughs> and and we said wow that's that's very cool let's go there and we ended up going there you know a few you know a couple of months later and the hospitality we received there was no tourists whatsoever we invited home to people's homes and farms for dinners and parties and and everything one of the dinners i remember we were um, you know, were invited by two brothers and, and to their parents and, and the mother, she was going to cook. We brought them some fish and she said, I'm going to cook the fish, but um, you're going to have to go out on on the field and pick the potatoes and tomatoes and the corn for our dinner. So we actually <laughs> had to contribute picking the stuff ourselves. So, but, you know, the hospitality was incredible. And, and that's when I promised myself after this trip that I'm going to visit um, all the Stan countries. There are countries, seven countries in the world, ending with Stan. And, and these were, the, you know, because we visited Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan in one go. So, uh, so, so you know, so, so that sort of kicked off this chain reaction. Then I wanted to see Stan countries and other former Soviet Union republics. And, and from there on, it was just, you know, the travel bug had bitten me hard, you know. So whenever I saved enough money, I had some time off work. I, you know, if I found a cheap ticket or um, somebody threw a party or, as you say, there was some sort of an event or whatever, any reason, I didn't need much of an excuse, but any excuse to go to a new country and, and I would go. I st- it still didn't stop me to, to travel back to countries, you know, if I was invited uh, to a country I'd already been to or a wedding or something. Of course, I, I did not uh, say no, I have been there already. You know, I love going back to countries to, to see how they've changed and whether there is a new atmosphere or, you know, going back to meet meet old friends and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, as often as I could, I, I visited um, at least one new country and trying to also visit one or two neighbouring countries if I had enough time and that was possible with logistics and so on. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the stands, uh, Afghanistan. You spoke of the beauty that was there before. How heartbreaking is it now? You know, you see some of these countries and when you think Afghanistan, sadly, you think of only the bad things. We don't realize how beautiful and how modern that country was just 40, 50 years ago, right? No, it was one of the most modern um, and advanced countries in the world. And, you know, with regards to, to uh, women rights, I mean, women, they're walking around in, uh, walking around in miniskirts way before uh, women were doing that in the U.S. or, or, or Europe. Um, it, it was really, really advanced. And then, it, you know, they've been through, as, as you mentioned, they've been through loads of wars and misery and all the rest of it. But it, it's a truly incredible uh, country. And, and, you know, if you go to Kabul, the capital, there's, um, there's a lot of military personnel there and, and bombs and, and, and uh, you know, explosions and terrorism and all the rest of it. So, but you can still go to, um, there's a province called Bamiyan, which is the, the only province in Afghanistan which still has a tourist uh, office. And they still have some Western-style hotels um, because they have, they have skiing there. And once a year, they have a skiing competition. 
or actually there there are two competitions there's one for skiers and there's one there's one for snowboarders and um, you know you have to uh, bring your skis or your snowboard or whatever um, uh, to the top and then you have to you have some checkpoints you have to sort of cross off that you have been there and you have a, I don't know five or six checkpoints uh, and then you have to come down to the finish line uh, and there and besides those things there's only one rule um, and that is, uh, do not bring any weapons. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's, it, it, it says a little bit about Afghanistan in, in, in a sad way. But but this province, Bamiyan, it, it's beautiful. And you have these Buddha statues that were um, destroyed by the Taliban. Uh, and you have lakes, you have mountains. You know, it, it's truly uh, amazing to, to, to go there. So, and that's totally safe. Um, you can fly in there. Uh, you have to do domestic flights, but the airport in Kabul is is so secured. So you know you, you will be totally fine. You fly into Kabul and then take a domestic flight, and and suddenly you're you're in paradise within <laughs> Afghanistan. I mean, who who would have thought? <laughs> you, you seem competitive. You mentioned how stubborn you are. Sometimes the visa policy is a pain in the butt. I just got back from Pakistan a few weeks ago. Luckily, I know a few people in a few places, and they helped me get it very easy. <laughs> but sometimes that can be difficult. Ever close to quitting or just like, come on, man, this is my fifth or sixth time trying to get a visa to blank. Ever close to just quitting this thing or are you just too competitive to ever do that? Well, I'm, I'm certainly very stubborn and uh, so I also have a competitive element in, inside me, I think. Um, I've had uh, visas turned down on, on multiple occasions, but I mean, it's, it's, um, I don't like giving up. It's, it's, if I have an idea, if I, if I have a goal, if I have something I, I've decided to do, I will you know, do whatever I can to, to, um, to accomplish that. And it's, it's a good example with, with the visas, actually. The last time um, I was going to go to Turkmenistan, which is, uh, which it's usually quite easy to get a visa there because you, you have to have a guide. It's one out of three countries in the world where you need a guide to, to travel as a tourist. Um, so everything is organized by, by a guide company, and they will sort out your visas and all the rest of it. But after having been there the first time and not writing very nice things about the country um, in my book, due to the fact I've had a dictator for uh, since its, um, its independence from the Soviet Union, uh, a mad dictator, you know, he had so many crazy rules. He named the days of the week after his family and friends because <laughs> Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> you know, he didn't really like the sound of those. And, and and he built a huge statue in gold of himself that was revolving, you know, so he was constantly looking towards the sun. You know, there's so much craziness there. And I was writing about this in, in the first book, and then I tried to get back. They would not give me a visa. I, I applied six times. And, you know, and as a tourist, and I said, ah, come on. Uh, but clearly I was in some sort of a database or something. And, and then I was, you know, plan B, I was thinking about, um, you know, hijacking a boat from, you know, from, from <laughs> Kazakhstan. <laughs> And get some local to drive me across. Of course, Turkmenistan is not the place you want to be imprisoned, you know, for sneaking in. You know, you probably never was going to leave. But then I said, I, I thought, so that was sort of plan D. And I had another plan of swimming across a little lake that borders Iran and Turkmenistan, you know, just in order to be able to, to get in. Again, I could be arrested. Fine, luckily, I, um, I had plan B which was to apply for a business visa. There was this telecom conference in, in Turkmenistan called Turkmen Tel 2018. 
and I was, I was, you know, I was fearful that I was in this database, and uh, but that was a tourism database, the tourism department, or you know, the, the travel department, or travel ministry rather. Uh, but luckily, my, this visa was going to the, uh, the financial department or ministry, whatever. So they were not sharing databases, and I was let in. And you know, man, they were, you know, they had the red carpet out for me. I was, you know, I was, I was getting to meet the. Ministry of of Communication. There was this big gala dinners and everything. So from being not allowed into the country, <laughs> they were giving me the VIP treatment. You know, so so you know, if you have a will and you're um, you, you're not you're not uh, prone to giving up. You know, you'll you'll get there some way or another. <laughs> that country has one of the coolest. I guess it is a tourist attraction now. Tell everyone about the door to hell or the gate to hell because it's. I heard it is fascinating beyond belief. Oh, it is. It's it's my favorite tourist attraction in in the world, and it is um it's it's a crater. It's eighty minutes wide. It's a circular, and it's thirty minutes thirty meters deep. Uh, I guess in in uh, well, you know, you're not on a metric system, are you? But eighty was that <laughs> in, in, in feet? It's like two hundred and forty feet wide, and it's uh, ninety feet deep. And um, this has been there since the 70s because you had some engineers out in the desert. They were looking for, for natural gas and they came across this site and there was um, this really awful smell. And they decided, well, OK, this must be some gas. Let's just put fire to it. And they had this huge explosion. And apparently that's how this crater was was made. Um, what they were not thinking was about was that this was on top of the biggest gas reserve natural gas reserve in the world so you know this this has been burning ever since down this crater you have flames coming up of it it's truly incredible and there's no light pollution uh, next to this crater and no villages no towns no uh, no roads no nothing so you need a four by four um uh, vehicle to take you there we were staying in tents next to this crater and you know you, you can hear this the sound of the of the gases burning um, and our guide and um, he was he was cooking for us we're sitting there drinking vodka and beers you know on the sand in the middle of this desert the Karakum desert it's about three hours drive north of Ashgabat which is the capital and it's truly incredible we were there all by ourselves you know my my brother and two friends and our guide and it, it is truly truly unique and definitely somewhere you, you should visit uh, hopefully there there won't be too many tourists there, uh, but Turkmenistan is still the ninth least visited country in the world, and one I, I, I wrote about again for my my second book about the least visited countries in, in the world. So chances are you, you're going to be there on your own due to to lack lack of tourists. Speaking of uh, least visited countries, a lot of the reasons why, besides war and stuff, can be the visa process. What's the best place for travelers to get up-to-date visa rules? Because a lot of times, you know this, they'll just change overnight. You don't even know about it. How do you keep up to it, and what's the easiest way for the travelers to get the up-to-date visa regulations and rules to obtain one? Well, that's a tricky question because it all depends on your passport and the passport you own. So the visa rules for me as a Norwegian passport and for you with a U.S. passport are, it can be totally different and are totally different in many cases. So uh, the best way is if you look uh, look up online on, on the State Department uh, website uh, or equally equivalent um, or you, you ask other people, you know, just use Instagram, use Facebook, use Twitter, uh, use 
Couchsurfing, you know, which is a great website in order to find somewhere to stay for free and to meet people. Uh, and there's, on, there's a Facebook group called um, e, um, every, EPS, Every Passport Stamp. I think there are like 7,000 avid travelers on there um, and people from almost every uh, country in the world. So, you know, if you, if you put out a question there, it's almost certain that someone from your country ha has been there recently and can answer these visa rules. So a combination of, you know, of using various sources, using this group and using the State Department uh, website should, should get you there. And of course, the best bet of, quite often is to call or to call or email the embassy of the country in question and, and ask them. Of course, then again, some of the people working in, in, in some embassies around the world, they, they're quite eager to get some fast cash in their own pockets. So, you know, you can't always <laughs> trust what you hear, hear there. You know, <laughs> you know this as, as a big traveler yourself. Yes. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's fun when you talk about it afterwards, but it, it's a hell. It's absolute hell when you go through it, so, you know, and you have to stand in line. You have to you're being sent from one person to another, from, from one consulate to an embassy and back to a different consulate. And it's, ah, it, it's awful. <laughs> you, you actually mentioned living in Taiwan to learn the language. Did you uh, succeed in doing that? Because I'm trying to learn, learn language now that living in Taiwan, you bang out the language? Oh, I, I was uh, I lived there in 2010, and I was doing quite all right. I mean, I could have a, a decent conversation, but as with anything else, if you don't practice, you're going to lose it. And um, stupidly, I did not uh, befriend uh, you know any Chinese people here in Norway, working in some restaurant or whatever, in, in order to try uh, to keep it up. So uh, now I only remember very very small parts of, of what I used to know. So um, stupidly, you know, if you if you stop using it, you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose it. Stop, stop use it. You lose it. What? Uh, what? Um, yeah. Yeah. No. So, 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 and, and of course, uh, Chinese uh, Mandarin is one of the probably most difficult country, uh, difficult uh, difficult language languages you can learn. I mean, you can read it and not be able to understand a spoken word or speak any of it. You know, so, so the written and the spoken language are totally different. So, you know, instead of trying to learn one language, you have to sort of learn two. And uh, no, it's. Um, uh, it was. I'm, I'm hoping you're trying to learn uh, slightly um, less uh, or easier language, uh, Mike. T Tagalog, Filipino. I'm trying to learn. All right. Well, that's. Uh, I don't know much about that. How, how, how are you getting along? Oh, not bad. You know, my girl's Filipino, so we're, we're doing it together. She speaks it nice. obviously fluently. So I've been doing it, like every day, like an hour a day, two hours a day. So I was curious, like any tips you had, how you learned besides immersion. I don't feel like moving to the Philippines. I like New York too much. So I was curious, any other tips you had while living in Taiwan, how you were picking up on it? Well, the good thing in Taiwan is that a lot of people there don't speak English. So you're being forced to exactly, actually speak yes. it. So that's probably the best way, really. And your girlfriend, I'm, I'm sure she speaks English. So uh, that's that's the downside of it. But um, of course, she uh, she can certainly um, help you out. But you, you should really refuse to speak English to mm -hmm. her. You know, oh, we're just going to speak Filipino. I think you're being forced to do it. It's, it's a really good way, I think. What feedback, good or bad, did you get from other countries or people on different social media after your book? Now, listen, obviously, you're not going to get people from France or New York talking crap about you. But any other countries reach out to you and be like, oh, you gave us a bad name or you did a disservice to us? Good or bad after writing the book? 
yeah, I can't really. Uh, a lot of people are are telling me that I've inspired them to to travel, uh, that I've told them about countries they they never knew about, which is not too strange as, as I'm covering all the countries in the world in, in the book. Um, but uh, people talking uh, are being uh, being. Uh, you know, pissed off <laughs> in search of a better phrase. You know, maybe I mentioned Turkmenistan. It seemed like somebody there were not too happy with what I'd written <laughs> since they wouldn't get me bloody visa. But um, <clears throat> no, people people are more, they're, they're letting me know if they're appreciative. You know, if, if I put out a photo, you know, not so much in, in, in my book, then it's more personal. You know, thank you so much for writing uh, about this place in my country, but you forgot this other place, <laughs> which is much nicer. So, you know, it, it's more on a, a very personal level. Level, that those people that actually get in touch uh, directly, they um, they might be very appreciative, and at the same time that they give me uh, heaps of other tips and uh, and places I, I should check out for, for next time. So, so that I really appreciate that. Really, one of my biggest pet peeves when people find out how much I travel and how much I'm obsessed with it is. What's your favorite country? So I would never even disrespect you and every, <laughs> and even ask that because I always hate that because if you want to tell me where I partied, where I hooked up where I did this everything changes everywhere but I just want to ask you about you know maybe some off the beaten path places Equatorial Guinea for me I can shoot right over there well obviously not now but when uh, when this all clears up I can shoot over there in a weekend I don't need a visa besides America why is their visa pos- uh, policy close to impossible for everyone else uh, that's a good question I, I, uh, I haven't had a very clear and straight answer to that but um, as you say the only people who can visit Equatorial Guinea are Americans without a visa and the rest of us, we, we can struggle quite a lot to get a visa. Um, I tried to get a visa to, to Equatorial Guinea by visiting a number of embassies all around Africa, or at least the west western parts of Africa, without any luck. Um, the first time I, I ended up being lucky, so I got it in, in Gabon, which is on, on the mainland, uh, which is just it actually borders parts of Equatorial Guinea. Uh, it has one, the, the capital is on an island, uh, but the, the main part of the country is, is on the mainland. I was quite lucky in Gabon. I tried in Cameroon first uh, without any luck, and then I, I went down to, to Gabon, and they gave me a visa, no problem at all. I had, it, um, I had to speak to the ambassador, and uh, as, as soon as he understood that I actually knew something about the country, he ordered his staff to give me a visa in, in 10, 15 minutes. Um, the second time I was going to go to Equatorial Guinea, and that's also on the list of, of the least visited countries in the world. So I had to go back for, for my second book. Um, and then I tried Gabon, no luck, uh, new staff that were working there. And one of the guys there, he said, well, you know, if you pay me $2,000, I'll give you the visa. And I was like, come on, that's corruption. I'm not going to do this. And then I figured I'm going to be able to get the visa elsewhere. And I traveled all over the western part of Africa to, to most countries there with uh, an Equatorial uh, Guinea um, embassy. And no luck whatsoever. They just refused to give me uh, the visa. So in the end, I ended up getting it in London. Um, and they're they're really you know they're really polite, uh, very professional in brand new buildings. Um, and I had the visa there in, in three or four days. And apparently, it's also uh, doable to get it in in Madrid and in in Berlin without too much hassle. But then again, I guess most of your uh, most of your audience uh, consists of American people, and and you guys, you don't have to worry about it, Guitar Guinea. <laughs> you lucky you lucky guys. I'm, yes. just, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> And also, 
I don't know anyone besides country counters or crazy people who go to the oceanic countries and yet the beauty and the vast nature of all these places. Tell me something special about the from Micronesia to all these uh, oceanic countries. And I know a lot of those are on your most least visited places. Tell me something about those places. Oh, they're they're, uh, they're truly unique. Uh, most of them are, are tiny um, countries. In Oceania, the, um, the continent of Oceania, you, most people have heard about three out of 14 countries. Australia, obviously, New Zealand and Fiji. Um, and then you have all these other extremely exciting ones. You know, you Papua New Guinea is, is the, the biggest um, out of the rest. And almost no uh, roads, uh, so you have to fly to two tiny airports on propeller planes. It's one of the most diverse countries in, in the world with regards to um, uh, to animal life and plants and, and, and all the rest of it. You have uh, loads of, of Indian tribes still living there, uh, speaking languages you will never uh, understand. So the downside of Papua New Guinea is that it's... Uh, not the safest of places, especially not Port Moresby, which is the, is the capital. Um, but if you if you get outside there, you know there's so much to see and do. Just uh, just set aside a lot of time to do it. Uh, the rest of the the countries uh, now I'm generalizing, but you have Solomon Islands. It's easily accessible from from Brisbane uh, in Australia. Only a three hour direct flight. And it's it's booming. You have some of the best surfing spots in the world. Um, you can't reach them by road, so you have to to get in touch with with locals. They can take you there by boat. Um, and you have a number of, of islands there that are so uh, so green, so lush. It's just uh, is really fascinating. And you know their tourism economy is starting to take off from a very low level but you have some really nice uh, hotels there you have boutique hotels you can rent your own island uh, with really you know luxurious bungalows with with a butler if you like you know so, so for those people who are really looking for something different with with high standards then Solomon islands is uh, that is certainly something to to recommend um, most of the other countries are, consist of, of a very uh, let's say flat uh, islands, uh, with uh, you know, which is uh, really bad because that means they are going to disappear if water levels increase as they're currently doing. You know, if they increase by a couple of meters, they are really in trouble uh, due to global warming. And you see uh, Kiribati, for instance, it's um, it's actually spelled uh, K I R uh, uh, I B A T I, but it's pronounced Kiribati. So uh, T-I in Kiribati is uh, pronounced as S. And, and there's a funny story behind this. Um, apparently, the first missionary, he was British, um, who came to, to the island, um, to, to the islands like 150 years ago, he was going to, of course, tell them about Jesus, but he was also going to teach them how to write. So he brought a typewriter. And I was told this story about from a guy called Kaura, who's the taxi driver in Kiribati. And there's only one taxi driver in Kiribati, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, and and he told me that you know when he jumped from uh, this missionary, he jumped from the the sailing ship to the the port. Uh, he dropped his typewriter in in the, in the ocean, and some some kids, you know, they they dived down and, and picked it up, and, and he dried it off in, in, in a bungalow. And a few days later, he tried it, you know, it, it dried up and it worked, except for the letter S, which had fallen off. <laughs> so they, had, 
So apparently, you know, apparently they they had to be um, creative in order to um, to to fix or to, to you know to invent um, a written language. And and he was suggesting, no, let's just drop S. And and the locals were saying, no, no, the, the, you know, the, the sound S is very important here. So then he came up with the with the idea to write S as T I or T U. So if you see that, you know, it's pronounced S. And in a mind, in a Western mind, that really does not compute. It's it's so difficult to get that into your head. And the biggest city, it's called. Uh, it looks like it's called uh, Betio, uh, B E T I O. But of course, that's pronounced Beso. <laughs> and and uh, you know, and then you have Kiribati, the name of the country. And you have uh, I was I was renting a bungalow, and the lady she picked me up from the airport. You know, I've been mailing back and forth, and I was thinking of her as Teretia. But of course, uh, T-I is S, so her name is Teresa, of course. You know, it's really hard to get into your mind. So um, nevertheless, Kiribati, it's um, the highest point here. It's, it's only a couple of meters high, two or three meters above sea level. So they're really in big trouble. The same applies to uh, Tuvalu, which is, uh, which is even lower and smaller. Um, the size of Tuvalu is one third of Manhattan. You know, that's the entire the size of the, the size of the entire country, and it consists of a number of islands. But it's so small. The main island is called Funafuti, which has the best um, airport code in the world, which is fun. <laughs> <F-U-N>. <laughs> uh, but but the the airstrip it takes it takes one third of the island. You know, and they need an airstrip in order to get people in there and and goods and all the rest of it. And it's really a surreal country to to come to. And they only have 11,000 inhabitants there. Uh, planes arrive two or three times a week, sometimes four, depending on the season. And only propeller planes, because the runway is not long enough to take down um, jet planes. So it's, it, it's really strange. They have one hotel there, a number of guest houses and some Airbnb places. But it's, um, it's truly unique, you know, just to, to be there and experience country life or, you know, rural country life. I mean, every, everything there is very, very rural or feels very, very rural. Um, then you have, I don't know, I, you know, I can talk about this. You have Tonga, uh, which is further, it's farther to, um, to the east. You have a lot of whales there. It's, it's truly unique for whale watching, and you should definitely go there and spend a lot of time there. They're also famous for huge BBQs, barbecues and, and big uh, meat feasts. And they still have a king, um, apparently a pretty jolly uh, old man who, who likes eating and, and, and drinking. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned Micronesia. Uh, it's one of the best places in the world for scuba diving due to World War II with so many um, wrecks and plane wrecks and all the rest of it, especially around the, um, the province of Chuuk, uh, C-H-U-U-K. Um, and then you have, um, I don't know, there's already mentioned probably half of the countries <laughs> on the continent there. <laughs> but it, and, and contrary to common belief, you know, you, we've seen all these cartoons with a small island with one palm tree and nothing else and, and some sand. Um, and with, you know, umbrella drinks and all the rest of it. And you sort of just uh, picturing these countries to be really nice and luxurious and all the rest of it. And I mentioned Solomon Islands, which is the exception. But the poverty here, it's quite high. Uh, so most people here live in poverty. And uh, quite often you don't even have hotels, as, as the case with uh, Tuvalu. So it's, um, uh, but, you know, people extremely friendly. And, um, you know, they will invite you to dinners and, and, and whatever else, parties. 
uh, just be smiling and be nice to them and say hello and you know be uh, be the one approaching uh, and and you know uh, show your 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 pretty smiling friendly non-threatening face and i think this is one of my biggest and best travel tip of all times is just smile to people and be humble don't be like hello don't you know who i am i'm from one of the best countries in the world norway or the us you know don't uh, don't look down at, at people and they will treat you amazingly you describe norwegians in your book as uh, shy almost scared of meeting new people why are you different <laughs> no what changed you because you seem outgoing. You're saying, listen, I travel alone a lot. You travel alone and you're meeting random people, sleeping at random people's houses. What makes you different from the shy, almost scared of meeting Norwegian uh, person? No, it's funny you mentioned this. Uh, but most people, they actually think that Norwegians are arrogant uh, pricks, you know. But- <laughs> <laughs> Where and I because when I meet people and you know blah 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 and so where are you from and I say Norway oh oh you're not very arrogant for a Norwegian <laughs> you know is what I'm usually told and I and I've been thinking about this because Norwegians really are not arrogant but my conclusion is that no it's not arrogance it's shyness because we are I don't know it's a small country five and a half million people we have a lot it's quite a big country area wise and loads of fjords and mountains and everything so there are lots of small villages and uh, you know hamlets and and, and tiny towns and and a a very small number of cities So, so I don't know I think it has something to do about that with loads of different dialects and all the rest of it so you know it's always someone new to encounter with in Norway back in the days so so it's just my my theory but, but but you know I think that's proven beyond doubt that we are quite shy so how did I get away from that uh, you know traveling certainly helps helped you know li- living in, in Lawrenceburg Indiana also helped believe it or not you know <laughs> uh, but, but but you know just meeting new new kinds of people uh, you know having to to um, to uh, learn and, and get involved in a new culture you know, understanding that that people are different. You know, they have different mindsets, different religions, different backgrounds, and all the rest of it. And you know, I think the best way to actually learn that is by traveling. Of course, you can you can meet uh, lots of uh, foreign people in your home city. I mean, New York, New York is is great for that, and and uh, lots of other cities around the world you can do that as well. Still, then I guess most people in your city, whichever city you're in, they have uh, sort of they've sort of um, uh, changed their ways to to fit better in with, with the locals. So you know, but if you travel to their places, then it, it's sort of you that has has to adapt. You have to adapt, and I think um, you know by traveling that that really opens up your 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 mind, and, and you learn so much about other people and other cultures. But again, you learn so much about yourself as well. And, you know, eventually I figured out that being shy and not smiling or saying hello to people, that's not a good way to make friends. <laughs> you know, surprising. <laughs> so, so I think I learned that the hard way to say, oh, you know, come on. It doesn't even cost anything. Just smile and say hello. And, and you know, then eight out of ten times you're 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 involved in a competition, in, in, not a competition, but in a conversation immediately after, you know. The, the only showstopper is usually uh, it can be language, you know. But then I have my notepad, and then you know I I was in Iran once, and I was at a rest at a restaurant, and I tried to order. And normally you find a thirteen or fourteen year old boy or a girl, and he or she is learning 
uh, English in school and suddenly um, uh, he or she is the translator and their status, you know, you can just see them light up, you know, their status in the community is just goes skyrockets because they're now translating between you and maybe the chef or some other important people in, in, in the village. But in Iran, I couldn't find any, any, anyone who knew any English. So I put up, I took up my notebook and um, this was a restaurant that I wanted to order something. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't read Persian, <laughs> so I, I drew, um, and my drawing is awful. I told you earlier, <laughs> but 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 I drew, I drew one sheep and one cow and two pieces of bread, and that's what I got. You know, <laughs> so that's sort of last resort. You know, you you, <laughs> you have to draw stuff. <laughs> one uh, one country you didn't make friends in was your overnight stay in jail. What happened in, in Niger? Oh yeah, that was uh, yeah. My first trip to Nigeria was uh, was interesting. Oh, it was in Nigeria. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, that was Nigeria, not Nigeria, but uh, Niger, I think they say it's a French-speaking country, and my French is awful. I don't speak any French, but, but anyway, I'd read in some guidebook. Um, actually, I think it was on a Wiki Travel or a Wiki Voyage online mm-hmm. that yes, you could indeed get um, a visa on arrival if you had a European passport. Um, and I actually printed out this because I'd heard elsewhere it was quite difficult to get in there. So, but I printed out the pages and I took them along and I just walked up to the police police officer uh, in the airport and uh, so where's your visa? Well, no, I would like to get a visa on arrival. Oh, not possible. You know, and blah, blah, blah. And it was back and forth. And he took me to his uh, commander who took me to a secret room in the back of the airport, which I, I was sat, I was told, for, for over an hour. And in the end, they drove me downtown to, to a prison. And, you know, they put me in prison overnight. And the next morning, um, the guy who drove me there, you know, he picked me up, drove me to the airport and, you know, pretty much just pushed me onto the first plane going out again so <laughs> the, the funny bit was um uh, i didn't have to pay for the for the plane ticket leaving <laughs> the country so at least i got a free a free ride out but you know so um so so that was one of the countries i, I definitely had to get back to because you know that hardly almost didn't count you know being in prison in a mm-hmm. country now, i certainly experienced something and i was you know made good friends with some uh, some kids outside there was what the hell are you doing here and with a prison guard and and some police officers uh, you know that was staying there overnight but but still so um it, it was more fun when i when i got back there and, and again, I had visa troubles, believe it or not. But but, uh, but this time, I, I actually managed to. Um, apparently, I had the wrong visa for for some reason. But this time, I it's actually yeah, the second time I had to go back to the same police station where I'd been in prison the first time, like several years before, in order to get my 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 um, faulty visa re-stamped and pay it fine. Uh, but then it was okay, and then I could stay in the country. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, when I was reading your book, I was getting so annoyed with you in the book. Why don't you book hotels or places to stay before you get to a country? You're gonna, you're saying you're landing so and so, but I didn't have a place to stay. I was getting so mad at you. Why don't you just plan a place to stay before you get somewhere? <laughs> no, well, you know, if I if I go to big cities or you know places I know. Um, or if I, I arrive late at night, um, I usually have uh, hotels ordered or booked in advance. Uh, many places, you can't book them online, so you have to call them, you have to find an email address, and, and they might not answer. So, so some places, especially in Africa, you, you know, you can try, and, and you're not, you're not going to be successful. But, but you know, say if I arrive late at night, I try to do that um, in advance anyway. I try to find a phone number or something. Um, but, you know, if I, if I arrive early in the morning, 
I really enjoy uh, checking out the city or the town or the village, you know, and, and having a look at the hotel because believe me, uh, there are so many rubbish hotels around the world. And, you know, <laughs> if you book them in advance and you, it's not exactly going to be a chain hotel in, you know, in Rwanda or in Angola or wherever. So you have no idea about the, about the state of the hotel. I was in Nigeria uh, once and I turned down three hotels uh, and, the, and the taxi driver, he was so annoyed. So he drove me to the fourth hotel and, and I said, OK, I'm going to take this one. And it looks quite nice from the outside. And, and then I get into my room and it, it's full of cockroaches. And you know, we're talking banana sized cockroaches. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And uh, so I took my one of my shoes and, you know, I went on a killing spree and I think I killed 12 or 13 cockroaches. <laughs> so all the ones I could see before I managed to get some sleep at all. So, you know, uh, so this was also, and it was, it was one or two at night. And, you know, I, I, and the taxi driver, he wanted to sleep. So I couldn't ask him to take me to your fifth hotel if there even was one in this, uh, this city. But usually I, if I arrived in the morning, I like to see the hotels. You know, I can see the room. I can, um, you know, and then I'm, I'll typically get a better price as well because they, they realize that, you know, if I, if I don't like it, I just walk out of there and I walk over to their competitor and they really don't want me to do that. So, and it's a good way to get to know a new place as well, just walking around and, and looking for hotels. But when you do that, you, you're going to see so many other things and meet so many other people. And, um, you know, they might give you recommendations and, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I, I rather enjoy <laughs> scouting out hotels on my own if it's um, the daytime. When you had like four or five countries to go, what made you plan or did you plan for Cape Verde to be your final one? If, if you're like, oh, I'm at 194, let me do this one, this one, this one, and then with Cape Verde. Is that how it happened? Now, I decided on having a big party uh, in my final country, and, and I think I decided on this when I had 15, 20 countries to go. And then I realized that uh, none of those countries were anywhere near Norway. And, you know, I was going to invite my family and, and friends and all the rest of it. And uh, <laughs> I realized not many of those would want to go to Nauru in the Pacific or Kiribati, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I actually looked on the map and said that the closest country to home uh, among the 20 I was missing was, was Cape Verde. So I said, okay, well, that's going to be my final country. So then I, I did all the rest, uh, you know, the others that were even more remote, you know, it was Eritrea and there was uh, lots of uh, countries in the Pacific. And um, so, so I did those, most of those on, on my own. And then um, Cape Verde, and I think 13 or 14 people actually showed up and we had a huge party. We said five days, four or five days and, uh, and really celebrated. And, and, you know, this this went, uh, I don't know, viral or what, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I, I was I was interviewed by the BBC, the CNN, you know, loads of Norwegian media. It, it just took off big time. It was it was mad. So uh, but in the meantime, you know, in between all those interviews, I managed to uh, to get a lot of parting done. It, it was a great um, it was a great time in Cape Verde. <laughs> I read a while ago uh, a book, and it was people who achieved lifelong dreams like uh, walking on the moon or winning an Olympic gold medal. It took years and years, and they sacrificed so much to achieve this one goal. And yet when they achieved it, they're like, oh, crap. Like, what's next? What, what went through your mind? Forget about the partying. You're not hungover anymore. When you got back home, you're like, whoa, I just hit 198. What do I do now? What was going through your mind? Was it depression? Was it uh, celebration? What were you thinking? 
well, yeah, there was a lot of depression there, you know, no more countries to explore, you know, bloody hell. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. I was, um, I was just promising myself that I'm never, ever going to engage in a hobby uh, which involves, you know, quantifying things, you know, accounting. <laughs> so I was really, I, I don't know, I was not tired of traveling, but it was, I spent all my money throughout 10, 12, 13 years and all my holidays and all the rest of it. So, um, and at the same time, you know, I wanted to write my book. So that was my next goal. And then when I was researching my next, my, you know, not the first book, but my second book, you know, that was uh, sort of five years later. Um, and I had to go back to the least visited countries in the world. And I realized no country in the world deserves to be visited only once. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, so stupid, you know, ah, such an idiot. Ah, so, you know, uh, but I mean, I had to go back to these 20 least visited countries anyway. And uh, so w while I was at it, I, um, you know, I, um, I tried to, to visit uh, neighboring countries and all the rest of it. And, um, you know, and I, I really got it, you know, I really enjoyed it. And um, part of it was research. And, and it sort of became a new goal. And then I ended up being the, the first person to, to visit all 198 countries two times. Uh, and of course, now I'm pondering whether to do it three times or not. And then again, I'm, I'm halfway there. So <clears throat> we'll see. <laughs> you, you, your, mom, your mom wrote you a letter to slow down after 198. And it's funny because I can relate. When I tell my mom, hey, mom, I'm going to uh, Jamaica. She's like, oh, have fun. Hey, mom, I'm going <laughs> to Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. Michael. Mike, like, you know, just goes through my, how long did you quote unquote slow down for till you started up again? I know. Uh, yeah. Cause my mom said, well, I hope, uh, I can't remember her exact phrasing, but I, I hope now you will, uh, you will uh, spend more time with um, us uh, at home. saying We don't have to share you with the world or something like that. She put down. Yeah. So, and I must say, I've been, I've been at home in my home village called Naustal on the West coast of Norway. I've been there at least three times every year, uh, even when I, I traveled uh, a lot abroad. So um, since I finished, I, I think I've been there five or six times every year. So I've been home more. And my mom and my siblings have three brothers and three sisters. It's a big, big family. So they come to Oslo, uh, the Norwegian capital, quite a lot for conferences or meetings or whatever. So, I mean, I, I, I still get to see them. Um, and then, you know, I had this uh, to do it twice in the second book. So then it went down a little bit again. But I, I still, I'm still at three or four times a year to, to, visit, uh, to visit home. Uh, and I must say, in Oslo, uh, we don't have mountains we, we have nice scenery and hills and, and some rivers and stuff and, and some sort of a fjord. But uh, the, the beautiful scenery is on the west coast and in northern Norway. So, so I miss that as well as, as my, my family, uh, my, my, my siblings and friends back up. But um, no, I, um, I, I, I slowed down for a bit, <laughs> a few years. <laughs> hey, just tell me quick, um, without getting into them, but you own a couple of Guinness Book of World Records. Just tell me what they are because they're pretty fascinating. Uh, yeah, apparently I, I counted the, the other day. So there are 10 world records and, uh, that I have, all related to travel uh, in one way or another. Although I don't like to call them travel world records because they're more, I mean, it's, it's all about doing something fast, really, most of them. So it's, it's more about logistics. So one of the records is to visit five continents in one day. 
And I started off with Adrian Butterworth, a friend from college in, in, in England. We started off in, uh, in Asia, then we went to Africa, then Europe, Northern uh, Americans, and, and North America and South America. Uh, we finished off in Caracas in Venezuela and we did that in one day. Uh, sort of cheating because we were using the time zones, you know, so we had to travel westwards. Uh, but still we managed in the same uh, calendar day. The other one was to, to travel around the world with uh, two friends from, from the Netherlands, um, Ronald Hanstra and um, Eric de Schwart. And we, um, we traveled around the world via scheduled aircraft uh, and the six inhabited countries faster than anybody. So I think the previous record was 63, 64 hours, and we did that in 56 uh, hours and 56 minutes, started and finished in, in Sydney. Which is really stupid because then we had to travel half around the <laughs> half the way around the world to get to Australia, and then travel around the world, and then travel half the way half around the world to get back. <laughs> so it's totally useless. But um, it, it's it's fun, you know. It, you get you get this adrenaline kick when you do something with good friends, and you know that you you're actually doing something um, uh, no one else has ever done before, and you set a world record. So yeah, uh, great fun, ultimate boys trip, you can say. We, we're all like basically grounded right now with COVID-19. What do you miss the most right now about – is it the traveling? Because, you know, I get depressed even looking at Google Flights to see what flights are good or going <laughs> to, you know, secret flying. Like, oh, there's flights, but why would I even book it? Who knows? What's, what do you miss the most right now? Well, believe it or not, I'm, I'm relatively restless. So, uh, no, I, I do I do miss being on, on the go and, and having um, – some new destination or old destination where I've been before, whatever, to um, to sort of look forward to. And I mean, I'm not complaining about being at home, uh, live with my girlfriend here and our cat, which is a <laughs> funny creature. I got to pause you because I'm a. I never was a cat guy until a year and a half ago. I got my cat. What's your cat's name? Uh, a ribbon. <laughs> were, 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 were you funny, always, yeah, were you always a cat person or no? No, no, this is uh, my my girlfriend's cat. Her name is Caroline. Okay. And uh, so she so she got this. Uh, I think it's uh, what's it called, the, the Maine Coon or something. And it's uh, this huge cat. It's like seven or eight kilos. And it's it's uh, it's a uh, big masculine uh, male cat. Looks really fierce and and you know mean. And she decides to give him uh, <laughs> the very cozy name of Ribbon. <laughs> You know, poor guy. You know, if he knew what it meant, he, he you know, he <laughs> he'd never go outside. <laughs> so no, it's it's, it's her cat, and um, <laughs> my mom is is actually allergic to dogs. So we never had dogs when when I grew up. So Aww. we had loads of cats and and hamsters and and, and and I don't know birds and all sorts of animals. So um, I guess I'm more of a cat person than a dog person. But uh, yeah, this one is is Caroline's. <laughs> uh, are you ready? Are you ready to finish up with a few quick hit questions? Oh, absolutely. It's me. Are you a souvenir guy? If so, what souvenir do you have to get from every country? <laughs> Not anymore. I used to. I, I used to collect uh, fridge magnets, but then I got so many fridge magnets, <laughs> it broke down my fridge. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so now they're, they're tucked away in a box in, in, in a cupboard somewhere. So uh, now I collect uh, photographs and memories. Worst thing about being a traveler? Oh, uh, I don't think there is a worse thing, is there? You know, <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know. You, no, I, I really can't see. Uh, of course, it, it takes away all your money. I think that's the worst thing. Yeah. That, good answer. Good answer. What's the best thing you learned about being a traveler and being to all these places? Uh, it's about, uh, it probably is that everywhere, every person, wherever he or she lives, 
considers um, uh, their home uh, or their home country or their home village or city to be the center of the universe. And of course it is. It is to them. And when, when I travel and my center of the universe is, is Norway, when, when I travel and I actually manage to, to realize this, you know, and I manage to see uh, my home country from outside, you know, that, that, that really is something. And, and you know, you, you sort of have to get your, your head around that, that everyone uh, looks upon their own hometown or home country as, as it, the place in, in the world. And, and that's quite fascinating. And it's something quite easy to forget. One thing I admire about you, and I said that early on, is that you have a regular job and traveling is a hobby. With, like I said, Corona, the COVID thing going on, is your, I don't know if you, like your side gig of being a traveler, is that affected a lot by this or not really? Uh, no, well, being an author is not, never going to make you a lot of money. I make uh, quite a bit, though, on on, um, on uh, doing presentations um, at different events, you know, travel shows, taking part in discussion and, and debates. And that's quite lucrative. Uh, so that's how I make most of my money besides my, my normal job. Writing a book, you know, of course, if it sells well, you, you get a, a little bit, but, but very few authors uh, sell a huge amount of books. Then again, I'm lucky living in Norway and being an author. I'm a published uh, author, which means here in Norway, you've published at least 100 pages. <laughs> so it's, not like, it's not that big of a deal. But the moment you, you are um, you know, a published author, you can then join the, the Norwegian Author Association. And oh. then, you know, they will give you a grant if you have a book idea and you have, uh, you have a, a deal uh, with um, with um, or even not not a real deal even uh, just a matter of understanding uh, or a memorandum, memorandum of understanding with the publisher that they will actually publish your book they will give you quite a big grant in order to be able to take time off of work uh, so that you can actually write this book so I get some money from grants I get quite a bit from presentations some from book sales and um, uh, and then yeah well the podcast I'm, I'm doing we're we're now uh, talking to the biggest uh, radio station uh, or the biggest commercial radio station in Norway um, to do uh, some sort of a license agreement with with that so that could bring in some money and then I have my website uh, garforce.com where there's some ads and, and so on but uh, they really don't bring in too much money but, but there is some yes some some cash coming in. Sadly, today, everyone wants to be this influencer. They want to spend uh, a ton of money on an outfit, even more on a hotel room, just to take a picture of them looking away from the camera and think they're being different. <laughs> I I, per I don't even have Instagram. Uh, I think it's sad. But what tips do you have for these influencers or people who want to get paid to travel? It's It seems very self-centered and very arrogant, but people want to get paid to travel. Do you have any – um? tips for people who want to be a travel blogger or who want to make a difference it's so many things have covered and guys like you have been in it so long and you're very genuine and you're raw in yours you're not putting the picture of the eiffel tower and gonna you're not looking away trying to get the million dollar shot do you have any um tips or do people ask you a lot on uh advice for it I think they need to find their, uh, their, the real reason for doing something. I mean, if the, if the reason for doing something is, is to become a famous influencer or an influencer, I think that's, that's the wrong, wrong goal or the wrong starting point. I think in order to be noticed, um, you, need to, you need to do something unique. And having a photo taken in a posh hotel or in front of the Eiffel Tower is not particularly uh, <laughs> unique. So I think you have to find your niche 
you know, and, and you can expand on that later, you know, but if you find your niche, you're successful, you're good at telling stories or good at taking photographs or shooting videos or whatever, you know, that's when you uh, are respected by, by other people and, and, and you get followers. And of course, if you're really, really beautiful or good looking or whatever, I, I guess it's, it's easier to get followers uh, and as, as sort of a shortcut in order to, to justify taking photos in, in front of famous places or in, in big hotel beds. But, uh, Come on, you know, I, I think it, it should be something you do in, in order to be to be proud of what you're doing and, and you're not, in order to actually uh, help people and, and maybe um, um, not influence them, you know, being an influencer, but maybe um, maybe uh, advising them or, you know, maybe giving them some, um, uh, ah, there's another word than influence, it's uh, to, um, ah, <laughs> it's well, another I, I word. I, I like what you said maybe maybe educate or inform them about stuff instead of trying to be different. But hey, Gunnar, I asked this. Oh, to inspire. Yeah. yeah, it's to inspire them. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, sorry. I don't said <laughs> if you can inspire them to, to follow their dreams instead of of influencing them to buy you know some expensive you know uh, piece of clothing or luggage or, or a, a watch. You know, I think that's that's a totally wrong wrong approach. But if you can inspire them. Uh, to follow their hearts or, or to, to, you know, do whatever or to explore whatever. I think that's that's what people should be be looking to do. Um, I think people will feel much better about it as well, even though the bank account might not be as, <laughs> as, as full. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to apply to you, but a lot of guys, obviously most of my guests are from the States. So I always ask everybody, you know, the athletes, the authors, the uh, the actors, the celebrities on my show, who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you back. So I'll ask you that. I might not know your answer. So how about this? Either that uh, question or who's the coolest person you met while traveling or while out and about? Oh, yeah. Well, my, my girlfriend is listening in and pointing at herself. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but besides her, obviously. Obviously. Uh, no, the, the, the <laughs> Now the coolest person I I ever met while while traveling, and that's on my uh, my phone. I don't know. I have uh, really good friends in in many countries. So to to pick just one of them, and, and most of them, you know, bar time differences, as long as they're awake, you know, they'll <laughs> they'll be right back at me. You know, with with uh, you know, if I have questions or I just need someone to talk to or whatever. So I don't know. I can't just pick pick uh, one person, but but you know, having people around the globe is it, truly fantastic, and being able to draw on their experiences and and their thoughts and their mindsets and they're totally different backgrounds than mine you know whether that has something to do with religion or or, or just experiences or, or where they're geographically at, geographically at you know that that's that's tremendous uh, support from from all over the world and that, that feels fantastic and we're going to finish up with this give me all the plugs where people can find you follow you and check you out well, the keyword is, is my last name. It's Garfors, G-A-R-F-O-R-S. And I'm Garfors on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter. And Garfors.com is my website. And I, uh, you know, or you just, you, you look me up on your favorite search engine and search for Garfors or Gunnar Garfors and you, you'll, you'll find me uh, quite a few, um, few places. Gunnar, this does not apply to you or, you or I because we're both taken. But if some random person asks you on the street, where the prettiest girls in the world are, you would say, besides, of course, Norway, of course, that's not a question for you. 
The same way I can, <laughs> I'm only allowed to say in my apartment the prettiest girl in the world lives. If someone not like me and you, X, is where the prettiest girls in the world are, you would say where? Oh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good one. I actually made a list out of that in my first book. I think you might have read it. But on the top <laughs> of that list uh, is Turkmenistan. Mm-hmm. And um, it's sort of a mix uh, between uh, the European girls from sort of the, 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 the Europe, European part of the Soviet Union and more the Asian part of the uh, Soviet Union. And they all dress, not all of them, but, but typically they dress up in this beautiful um let's say uh, a, a national costume is a beautiful dress and uh no so, so Turkmenistan, people girls from Turkmenistan are, are truly beautiful for sure <laughs> I, i'm sorry i want to, one last thing does your girlfriend uh travel with you a lot or is, are you still doing a lot of solo traveling uh, she comes along uh, to quite a few places. Mm-hmm. She she also she always has this this uh, question. She asks me, you know, if I ask her to to join to Somalia or Eritrea or wherever, you know, she asks me, will I get shot? <laughs> and if I if, <laughs> and if I can't answer immediately, she will say, no, you're on your own. And uh, <laughs> but we've been to some some um, some places, um, you know, outside the Western bubble, you know, Ivory Coast, for instance, and. Uh, uh, no, so, so we, we, we've been around Myanmar and, and uh, Georgia, Armenia. So she comes along to quite a few places. At the same time, she's um, there are certain places she's she's <laughs> hesitant to uh, to go to as well. Gunna, this was an absolute blast. Whenever we're allowed to travel again, we will link up. I'll meet you wherever you want. We'll have some beers together, tell some good stories, and uh, keep up the good work. And let me know when that new book comes out in uh, in English, man. Yeah, sure, Mike. Yeah, I definitely will. Yeah, it was really, really nice uh, chatting to you. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, I really like your style and your questions. You know, and it's uh, it comes together beautifully. This uh, this podcast, I, I hope. You know, you well, might have to edit it a little bit. But no, uh... <laughs> no man, I'll be honest. You made it easy, and uh, too bad we didn't we didn't we couldn't do this live. But uh, circumstances, obviously, no one's allowed to leave their house. But interviewing someone like you is so easy with such good stories and reading your book you, you feel like you know you so this was a blast for me I've been wanting to do it for a while keep up the good work and uh, fingers crossed we'll be able to be on a plane soon my friend yeah well on a plane and hopefully off a plane as well to, to uh, you know share some stories brilliant Mike but yeah please let me know when, when the podcast is out and uh, and I'll help you spread it as you, well you got it brother I'll talk to you soon be safe alright take care you too bye bye yes bye